Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. LA, do not miss the upcoming Steel Wars Live podcast, May the 26th. Make sure you have your tickets for our solo reaction panel at the Scum and Villainy Cantina in Hollywood, California. The Saturday after the release of the solo standalone film, we'll be breaking it down. Tickets are available at steelwars.com forward slash live. Just check the link in your show notes. This episode of Steel Wars is brought to you by Harry's Shavers. Harry's have stripped out unnecessary features and the unnecessary costs to deliver customers direct one perfect razor at an amazing price. Harry's is so confident that you are going to love their blades, they'll give you their trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com forward slash Steel Wars. For your free trial set, go to harrys.com forward slash Steel Wars right now. That's harrys.com forward slash Steel Wars. Link is in the show notes. Hey guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I'm comedian Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. And each week we find someone of interest to talk about it with. And this week, you guys, our guest can be described as nothing less as immeasurable. Finally, on the podcast, it is Ben Mendelsohn. Mendo, welcome. Thank you very much, Steele. It's a pleasure to be here. It has been a long journey to record your lovely tones on this podcast. iTunes is glowing at the moment. Uh, thank you very much. Well, like the Death Star itself, these things take time and effort. <laughs> Wow, you don't know how close to the mark you are with that. Uh... <laughs> I don't know where I heard this story, if it was from a listener or a friend or what. But someone told me that they have this memory of bumping into you. You had a stall at Camberwell Market. Yeah, yeah. A little, for our international listeners, a, a flea market or a swap market. Yep, in, swap meat or, or flea market. In very- Melbourne. Very legendary. And they bought off you. You had a stall. And they bought off you the Star Wars soundtrack by John Williams, a 12-inch record. I'm not sure whether or not that was the case. I think what what had happened was my... I can't remember who it was. There was someone else that actually had the stall. And um, I took along a bunch of stuff and got rid of it. And I don't know... I don't know that I was selling. Re- I, I don't know that I was selling records or not. I remember there was clothes and hoo ha like that. But come clean, Mendelssohn. Uh, come clean. Selling the oh, great I'm not gonna, work. I'm not going to get Williams. put in some sort of corner of some fantasy recollection of someone <laughs> that's decided to sort of make up some sort of story about that. Now I had that soundtrack since 1977. So 
I don't know. It doesn't sound right to me, but, you know, tyranny of years, mate. What, what are you going to do? What was your Campbell market strategy? There's the, the hyper retail happy person. I can remember yelling a lot, like, um, you know, oh, like one of those. bargains here, la, 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 la. It didn't really, I mean, it, it doesn't seem to make much difference what you do. Like, people are either going to come and check it out or they're not. You I, know? I was more the uh, soak up your hangover with a dim sim or potato cake at the back oh, of the you stand. Were, yeah, sullen. And sullen let, seller. Let, let nature take its course. Sullen seller. Well, you probably, I mean, you know what? Um, your your strategy's probably probably as effective as getting out there and carrying on uh, like a two-bob watch. I like the people that um, pick something up, ask how much it is, you say a dollar, and then they put it back down. (laughs) And it's like, what price were you hoping for? You couldn't pay me a dollar to pick up this old hat. Yeah, I know. um, But there you go. I mean, if you're at the swap meet uh, or the flea market, take what you can get. All righty. All righty. What is your first memory of Star Wars? Um, I think it was Burke's, um, no, it was Swanston Street at that time where it was on, um, you know, first, when it first came out and the, just the, the ship going overhead and the noise, boom, there it is, you know, 19, whatever it was, 77, December of, and it ran forever in Melbourne. It ran forever. And there was a little cinema that's gone now on the other side of, uh, Swanston Street where you could go and see it. And what instantly, like, captured you? Was it just that shot at no, the, the start? The, the sound, the sound, yeah, the sound alone. But you're in from the first. I mean, you're in from the first. Got to remember at that time, um, there really was nothing like it. And nothing like it for kids, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just straight in i mean you fall in love with princess leia straight away you're interested in the droids um you feel vader and then you want to be luke you know i mean it's it's just it's you're in i mean you're just straight in so you've got that distinctive memory of the ship coming over yeah what is it like in retrospect to find out that chase it's all your fault I wouldn't say it's my fault. I, I would say it's their fault in, you know, with the advancing of years and the, the deepening of understanding. I mean, you know, I, look, I say anyone can be a rebel. It's, I mean, anyone can be a rebel. It takes effort and consistency and, um, you know, you've got to actually do something to be a part of the empire. So uh, I refute that idea. All right, I've been refuted on the podcast. <laughs> it won't be the last time. Certainly wasn't the first. <laughs> Who was your character? Who did you live vicariously through while watching the films? Oh, I mean, you know, Luke and Luke and Han. Luke and Han. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you sort of want to be, um, you know, you want to be a combination of the two of those, I think. Uh, you know, I, I certainly did. You, you sort of want the, um, the spiritual significance of Luke with the swagger and, you know, cool of Han. You know, I mean, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're the shiznit, as it were. Yes, yes. And um, what about sort of like background characters, aliens and, and creatures and stuff? Did you have any of those guys that you are- I wouldn't have mind being able to play the, you know, the- That one-eyed guy at the um, at the bar, that would have been all right to, to have that kind of muscle, but also to be able to play that funky cantina uh, horn, that would have been good. I have to say, after that- uh, 
like reaction or replaying of the Cantina Band theme, you definitely didn't sell that record because that was pitch perfect. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> no, no, these things uh, have a way of sticking. <laughs> and did you have like a favourite sort of like scene, like something that that really sticks out to you? Look, that- actually, it, it's it, you know the stuff in um, the stuff when he's on uh, what Tatooine when he just when he's with his family. I really, really like those scenes. Mm. Um, the ones with you know his his auntie and his uncle. And then when they get, you know, when they when he comes back and they're, you know, they're finished, the droid market, you know, um, the sand, what what are they called? The sand, the, the Jawa, oh, the sand people, yeah, the sand people, all that stuff. I loved all that stuff. Yeah, I always found, and it, you know, it's a great device. Is they show how mundane his life is like ours you know if you're a, yeah. you know you're a kid yeah yeah it's like oh this dude has got a mundane life like me he's you know he has to do chores you know he can't go do this thing with his friends and then it's like this crazy thing happens and that sort of i don't know it sort of draws you more into that character whereas you know han solo is when you start with him he's already cool. he's a baller yeah, yeah. It's just it, another day at the office yeah yeah that sort of like pitching it down so it's like so mundane. Yeah. Makes the exciting bits, like, extra exciting. And I also think for kids, you know, like, one of the central kind of things that keeps coming up in stories for young people is the death of the, the parents or the caregivers or whatever. And that happens here, too. So, so Luke is forced out into, um, you know, to make his way in the world and stuff like that. And I think that's, that's pretty good fodder for um, kids' stories. I've, I've talked to so many people about these films that are, you know, actors or musicians and stuff. And, and a lot of them have sort of, they relate their life to, you know, sometimes Luke Skywalker, sometimes Han Solo. But one of the, the especially for me coming over here, that, that looking over, the Luke Skywalker looking at the sunset and sort of going, is there more? Yeah. Is that more? Did w- When you came to America, you know, obviously in Australia, you're, you're really well known. You know, we've, we've followed your career since very young, since you were trying to save Henderson's point, which was very <laughs> exciting. Very exciting. You're so much nicer back then. Um, but... <laughs> When you came over, was it more of a, a, a Luke Skywalker, I'm going to find my destiny, or a Han Solo, like, I'm here of a swagger? You know, it probably has a bit of both. There was an article in Sports Illustrated which asked why so many of the great quarterbacks come from small towns. Mm-hmm. And the essential uh, answer they came up with is because... They grow up in a small environment and they rise to the top in that environment. And they carry that sort of idea with them. So I came up young in Australia. And it's a pretty small shop when you pull back and you think of America. But when you come over here, you sort of carry that kind of Han Solo-esque uh, swagger with you. And certainly I did. And, and I've, seen, you know, I've seen that with a few people. That helps a lot. I mean, you, you run into reality, but... That kind of having had, you know, success in your community does help a lot. I think that's one of the reasons Australians do okay. I'm wondering, with my experience of coming over here, it was, you know, you sort of established in in your industry and in your scene, and then to come over here, you get a chance to kind of, like, re-establish yourself to people that don't have conceptions about you. Yeah, yeah. Did, Did you have that? Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, for, I mean, we're talking about well over a decade actively and and decades cumulatively, nothing happened. So, I mean, it was, um, 
like it was always more kind of relaxing in its way to be somewhere where no one no one really knew you mm. but you know as for like you know reinventing yourself or whatever it, the point was kind of moot because you know i didn't really um i didn't work so it didn't matter you know you'd reinvented yourself as an unemployed person whatever <laughs> Um, I was wondering when, you know, when episodes two and three yeah. were recording in Australia and, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of your friends were, were in the film. Yep. Was, was that something that you wanted to be involved with or you oh, were- I w- Yeah, no, I, w- I would have liked it. You know, it was, um, they were, I mean, they went on for a good while. They were shooting in, uh, in Sydney over a long period of time. That was a big deal. That was a big, big deal. So, yeah, yeah, I would have liked it. Because what you've done, you've overtaken Jack Thompson as the most Australian character. No one, no one overtakes Jack Thompson. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. There are certain immovable objects in the Australian film and television and whatnot landscape, and people don't overtake. You do not overtake Jack Thompson. So, you, that's, that, that's incorrect still. Let I, me rephrase I that. I won't, I won't have that. You've come a respectable second place. I'll be taking no second place, thank you very much. But uh, you do not overtake Jack Thompson. Let's just, let's just leave it at that. You don't overtake Jack Thompson. You don't overtake Billy Hunter. You don't overtake Max Cullen. You don't overtake John Mellon. You don't overtake Brian Brown. You don't overtake a plethora of them. They are the solid Parthenon and, um, you know, they've been doing it uh, since the rebirth of uh, Australian cinema. It's coming up. It's coming up soon to the 100 years of the feature film, which is ours, by the way, the first feature film. Do you know that, Seal? I did not. Oh, shame on you, you Australian film podcasting man that doesn't know. The Kelly Gang is the first feature film ever made. It's shot out near Heidelberg and whatnot. Uh-huh. I forget the year exactly, 1920-something or whatnot, but first long, long film. So, no, those guys, you know, I grew up with those guys, and I have no desire to overtake any of them. So, when you heard that, like, there's going to be new Star Wars films yeah. and, and Disney had bought Lucasfilm and, and they're going to- No, no I, I, I wasn't really aware of Disney buying Lucasfilm or any of that. Yeah. Hoo-ha. I'm not that- I'm not really that industry savvy. But when you found out there's going to be new Star Wars films, did, did your ears prick up a, a little bit? You know, you'd been in Batman, another, like, big franchise that maybe- No, I, I didn't find out there was going to be Star- I can't even remember um, how it was. I mean, really, it was, it was the thing of Gareth asking to meet. That was when I sort of knew. And I sort of knew because I'd, I'd met Gareth once or twice. Gareth had done a film uh, called Monsters with, um, with a guy that I'd done a few jobs with called Scoot McNary. And so- I kind of felt like this was this was feeling all right, you know. I felt like that at the start, and then I went up and uh, you know in a, in a Beverly Hills, um, like in a rooftop of of one of those hotels there on Cannon or something like that. I got escorted to this little booth, and you know there was vacant spots on either side. It was all very hush hush and secret, and then you know Gareth kind of told me. Um, what he had in mind and um that he uh uh you know he thought that i i was the dude and then i had to sit on that for um boy it felt like forever uh while you know the process went through or didn't go through but it did go through when were you informed about the cape uh, I found out about the Cape when they came over to 
I think I was shooting something else, actually. And I, but I was in uh, London. Um, a lot of stuff was being shot there. And the costume, um, uh, the costume crew came over and they rolled out what it was or what their intention was. And that's when I saw the cape. It's beautiful. I mean, it's very, um, you know, it's very Napoleonic. I mean, one of the, the costuming in Star Wars has always been, uh, you know, a genius kind of thing. From the first one with this threadbare budget with these incredibly effective um, kind of clear costumes. That's a pretty damn fine department, the, um, the Star Wars costume department, boy. Following, like, all the Star Wars news and the rumours and stuff, it was... I remember hearing, there was like, there's this white evil guy with a cape. Yeah. And there was a lot of, like, hushed tones. Yeah. And then when we found out that you were this caped evil man... It was a great day, Ben. <laughs> Thank you. Now, <laughs> speaking of great days, Celebration Europe, Star Wars Celebration, the big convention that had the rollout. Yeah. Now, I'm not... Like, I love Australia. It's my home. All my friends are there, my family. I'm not too nationalistic in, in, like, the Olympics and that sort of thing. I want everyone to have a good time. But when you walked out, oh. Australian, Ben Mendelsohn... In the white cape, flanked by death troopers, I've never been prouder to be an Australian. Oh, I, I, I could have slammed three meat pies right then. Oh, I'd love a four and twenty. They're hard to get over here. Um, yeah, that was a uh, yeah. I'm glad we did that. I'm glad we did that. Look, I mean, personally, I'm not. Um, I uh, you know, I, I get the whole behind the scenes thing and stuff, and you know, wanting to talk to the different actors and whatnot. But I, uh, I felt, and and Kathy Kennedy um, and Co got very excited at the idea that why don't we give them a, you know, why don't we chuck a bit of spectacle in there and go out in costume with the Death Troopers? No one had seen the Death Troopers before, and yeah, that was a good that was a good thing. It was a good feeling in the hall. They loved it. It was awesome. Now you've you're a pretty great actor. You're really good. That's from me. You can put that on your bio. But Orson Krennic seemed to have this, this hidden smirk under his grimace that day. It seemed like you were having a pretty good time. I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I, I loved it. I loved it. The reaction was, was awesome. Uh, it was a good feeling in the hall. It was just a good feeling in the hall. And I was, um, yeah, I was pretty, pretty proud to be... Um, trotting out uh that whole you know that whole costume and that whole vibe that was a that was good fun yeah so you were right you picked up on that there was <laughs> there was a um there was a bit of a you know uh there was there i was happy to be doing <laughs> now i've i've listened to an interview with you where you stated that you don't give and i quote and this is very australian it might need some translation a rat's ass yeah if the actor enjoys the film or whatever, but as Star Wars fans, we kind of really have fingers crossed that the actors involved, you know, are going to be in it. And, and I advise everyone never to look up Alec Guinness's opinions on Star Wars because you could leave the internet feeling a little bit sad. But what did you make of 
like just the energy in that hall. I listened back, like I actually was recording in that hall and sort of, you know, doing a commentary. And, and when you came out, there was like, there's just one lone Australian just like, Mendo! <laughs> uh, where were you? Where were you sitting? I was just like towards the front. Yeah, you, right. You cruise right yeah, past. Yeah. And yeah. it was, which is weird because it's like a really Australian thing. When you see anyone from Australia somewhere else, yeah. it's like, hey! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? It is. You know, like, it was a fantastic energy. And I mean, you know, like, the thing about when something's live, there's a real, you know, it's a di- it's, there's a vibe that goes between you and the audience if it's, if it's on song, you know? And, um, oh, yeah, that was a vibe. That was a great vibe. That was a great vibe. You could just feel the sort of the recognition go across from when people saw it and then people started standing up and leaning forward and, you know, recording it and whatnot. People were happy. People, you know, people loved it. I mean, celebration is, celebration's fantastic. I mean, I've only done one, but the vibe and, you know, like the, the really, really deep fans of it they get enormous parts of it and, and they just take a lot of pleasure. And there was a kid there that was dressed in a little Krennic out. You know, he's like one of the early adopters. I'll tell you another thing too. There's a guy that worked on um, on Bloodline. His name's Dan. And he is, um, he's also, you know, he's a big, big Star Wars fan. And he is officially, you know, sanctioned by me to be the, you know, number one Krennic you blessed the white cape. I blessed, I blessed the white cape and I blessed him. And I'm pointing up to, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Steele's place, but trust me, there is a very, very impressive array of Star Wars memorabilia here. There is a complete collection of the uh, initial films uh, figurines, what we now call, what, four, five and six. There's also a Krennic doll, one of the, the that came in like the blue packet. You like a what, how tall is that thing? It's twelve inches of pure okay. Krennic. Well, he took one of those Krennic dolls and modified it to a Bloodline doll <laughs> with a shell and a cigarette and um, and something else and you know hair on it and whatnot. So yeah, Dan's pretty impressive. Dan's pretty impressive, and he is. Uh, if you see him out there. In the uh, in the Star Wars verse, pay your respects because he's uh, he's pretty deep with this stuff. The number one Krennic. Salute to you, Dan. Hope you're listening. In the official trailer, there is this shot of you. The, the camera's sort of beaming down, and you're sort of looking up with this like frustration and anger. Where did that come from? Where, like, what? I'm, I'm. You talking about the shot in the trailer? Yeah, and you're sort of just looking up, just like furiously. I mean, sometimes it sucks, Krennic's job. You know, like, I mean, you got to bring a Death Star online, and you got, uh, you know, a lot of very strident people above you, and you've got these filthy underlings that are trying to sort of climb up and, and, you know. And then you've got this reluctant genius that's decided to go and grow mung beans and hide away somewhere with his family. Um, It's a tough job. It's a tough job. So, yeah, I mean, and, like, (laughs) 
let's face it, the empire is kind of built on a certain, uh, you know, a certain emotional palette of getting things done by um, by uh, foul means or fowler. And, um, uh, you know, you sort of want to think about where Krennic lives in that, you know. He doesn't have the kind of laid back in the cut kind of uh, kind of ease of a of the moth, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I did a lot of watching the moth um, in uh, in the first one just to try and get a vibe of, you know, the officer class. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, if you want to, um, you know, if you're doing a, a serial or something like that, and um, you know, you're fairly deep in it. You want to try and take a look at the most clearly at the at the first pressing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's of course, if for those of you with an eye for such things, if you want to know where the idea for or the gestation of of Krennic comes from, if you watch the scene uh, around the big round table where Vader is confronted about his trickery and and helps um, the other officer with these breathing exercises, you will see there a gentleman, a mustachioed gentleman, with that same kind of off-white grey suit. Right, right. That's kind of the military intelligence wing, if you like, of of the officer class in, um, in the Empire, and that is to where Krennic belongs. And, uh, you know, he's he's pretty far up in that. But, you know, he's ranked by Moff, he's ranked by Vader. Now, on opening night, we were very excited. Like, we'd, we had Mendo fever. You know, we, we had the T-shirts. We were, we were Mendoing during every trailer when you'd come up. And I'm not sure if you know this, but at the Australian premiere, the first time you did appear on screen... I don't know who it was that led this. I, I can't. I don't want. I disallow any acknowledgement of it. But there was a uh, a Mendo cry across the cinema. You're kidding me. I don't kid. Like, like, but what do you mean? Like some lone voice crying out? Not, not a lone voice. There was there was a fair few people that upon your first line, everyone went Mendo. Uh, that's and then beautiful. It was uh, it was our little dedication to you, but. In the opening scene, I was so overjoyed that, like when you said that line, Lyra, she's back from the dead, it's a miracle. <laughs> that just came across as such great Australian pub sarcasm. <laughs> well, I wish I wish I could claim that as my own, but but no, that's a beautifully written piece of um of uh, of throw off there. Yeah. Yeah, I love that term. I love that scene. Despite our on-screen unpleasantries, um, Mads is pretty awesome. So, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a great line, but deliciously delivered. Thank you very much, Steele. Very much enjoyed it. Now, as you know, Star Wars fans got to read, you know, novels that gave us the backstory of all those guys. Yeah, yeah. So what did you go into? Like, who did you think Krennic was? Uh, I thought that, that, you know, Krennic was, um, I mean, you sort of get it, you, you, you get a hint of this at one point in the, in, in Jin's flashbacks. Um, you know, I think that they were, they were both, um, young true believers in, um, you know, in building a better future. I think they were young, idealistic guys, um, capable guys that, that, you know, either grew up in or got recruited, 
into the empire. And I think Galen got, you know, depending on whether you want to look at the, the which side of the force and which side of the empire you're looking at, either the scales dropped from his eyes or the pennies dropped from his eyes or he became disillusioned and weak, um, you know, corrupted in some way. And, uh, you know, Orson didn't. Orson remained convinced that the purpose of this instrument would be to, you know, maintain a stability within this um, fractious and, quite frankly, disgusting sort of rebellious thing going on in the galaxy. And, I mean, you know, you only have to go to nukes to, to mm. think about the parallels. Um, and so he's a true believer in that. And Galen runs off and tries to hide. And, you know, you can run, but it's very, very difficult to hide. I mean, we know this in, in, you know, in the galaxy. You will be found. You will be tracked I mean, out. you know, this is how Boba Fett and people like that make their money too. You know, bounty hunters and bounty hunters in the Empire will find you. You will be sung out. We will feel you, whatever it is. You know, you'll be found. Guys, I'll let you in on a little behind-the-scenes secret. After the episode, Ben and I didn't talk about the best value, high-quality razor blades. We didn't have to because there's nothing to talk about because the answer is Harry's Shavers. Because Harry's is all about a great shave at a fair price, which is why over 3 million guys have switched over to Harry's. Much like director Krennic, Jeff and Andy were just two ordinary guys who were fed up getting charged an arm and a leg for razor blades. So they started Harry's to fix shaving. Well, that's not really like director Krennic. They, he was fed up with the galaxy and he started the Death Star to fix planets that were not blown up. So a bit different, but three very driven guys, which should be important. Anyway, Harry stripped out the unnecessary features like vibrating handles, heating blades, 15 lubricating strips, all that stuff, and the unnecessary cost to deliver customers one perfect razor at an amazing price. Maybe Krennic should have stripped out unnecessary features on the Death Star. I don't know, like an exhaust port? Unlike the Death Star, Harry's products are all backed by a 100% quality guarantee. And Harry's is so confident that you are going to love their blades, they'll give you their trial shave set for free. When you sign up at harrys.com forward slash steel wars, you just pay the shipping, which is three bucks. So claim your free trial offer from Harry's today. There is a link in the show notes that will take you directly there. You get a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a very useful travel blade cover. I have to admire they're willing to put their product on the line, which means perhaps they've got a pretty good product. Check it all out at harrys.com forward slash steel wars. Tell me this. Yeah. He lands on the planet. Yeah. It seems like several kilometers away. Yeah. Does he not understand like how spaceships work? What's what's his motivation? Look, you know, all I can say, Steel, is that this idea that he lands kilometres away is, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't have thought of it as kilometres away, but 
Well, the purpose is, of course, to just land, to sidle up and, um, you know, see what's up. I mean, if we landed, let's say, let's say I landed the spaceship right in front of him and then just drop the thing and go out. You know, you've got to understand that he's left, right? He's gone away. But at the same time, we want him back. Uh, he's an old friend of mine. Yes, he's been a bit of a D-head, but say la vie, you know, there he is. I want him to come along. I want him to be compliant. You know, the family's going to come. It's going to be fine. Uh, we got to get this thing finished. So I think it's germane to park the vehicle, you know, a respectable, a non-scary distance and to walk up with the six death troopers in tow. Um, that seems to me to be a pretty reasonable compromise between the two. I mean, clearly I'm there. Clearly he knows what it's about. Clearly the mung bean crop is going to suffer one way or the other. Um, but do you want a future or not? I mean, that's basically the proposition. I mean, we're going to take him one way or the other. And we do. When you jump into that, it is very unnerving, I, I have to say. Well, I do think you want a, um, you know, you do want to have an advocacy role. You also want to have fun with um, the characters you play. And also, um, yeah, you know, they've, you, they've got a certain logic to them or a point of view in, in most cases. And um, it's good to stand behind them to a degree. Now, when did you learn that in an almost unbelievable turn of events that you'd be playing in a scene against Darth Vader. Oh, I knew that very, very early on. Very, very early on. Very early on. I knew that we'd, we'd have Darth. And that was, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. When you were preparing for those scenes, I'm not sure if this is the sort of thing that you work out for the character, but what did Orson Krennic think Darth Vader was? I think he's got the same, I think he's got basically the same attitude. You know, Orson is sort of more of a traditional battle kind of a guy. You know, he's really that doctrine of overwhelming force, etc., etc. The spiritual dimension of the Jedi and, you know, by turns uh, Vader and the Emperor for that matter, are kind of like, yeah, maybe there's something there. It's a bit intangible. And it's also a little bit anachronistic. You know, it's a bit old-fashioned. Mm -hmm. It's a bit twee. You know, yes, you've got your sabres and whatnot, but that's a Death Star. You know what I mean? That's a Death Star. That's a Death Star. Turn it on, flick the switch, bam goes your world. You know, bam goes your planet. And there is nothing that's been... Uh, known or shown from his point of view in the uh, world of the force and the Jedis, etc., that even comes close to that. So they may have certain tricks and this and that and the other, um, but they're, you know, they would be seen as a dying, you know, a, a dying curio breed. And that's, I think that's what he would think about Vader. But, you know... At the same time, um, no one doubts that Vader is an incredibly 
capable warrior. I don't think he's as I don't think he's as um, brazen as like the the um, the example we see in the next film of um, someone wanting to do some breathing exercises. <laughs> now, as you know, movie fans, we know things get left on the cutting room floor and, and edits are made, and uh, there's no ill will that can be kept. But one of the greatest crimes in cinematic history, I'm not overplaying this, is the cutting of the power we are dealing with is immeasurable. One of the greatest lines delivered to one of the greatest villains of all time. When you you watch the film, you're like, ah, oh, that's a shame that wasn't in there. Or are you, you're just finding out now that it wasn't in there. It, it, was, it was a masterfully delivered line. It was super cool. The thing is, we've got versions. I mean, that's, that's the way, you know, that's the way it goes. I mean, there's other stuff in some of the earlier trailers that isn't in the film either. Whether they- Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. They come to light. And then there's a couple of other things even that, um, you know, uh, that may, you know, that may be... I, I imagine at some... St- I just think it's the... Once you've once you've captured some of that stuff, it, it come it will come to light in some way or another eventually. But no, I, I think I thank you for for your um, your stance on that. It's very edifying. But the film always trumps anything else. So mm-hmm. whatever it is that goes on in or goes on out, it it's sort of it's it's irrelevant in the face of what the film actually ends up being. And so I have no doubt that they made exactly the right decisions. One of the other scenes that was in the trailer, which was such an iconic Krennic scene, was walking through the water. Yep. Well, that's what I was referring to yeah, earlier. With, so. with, and what I loved about it was your cape's just dragging in the water. Like, if you're going to wear, <laughs> like, a fly AF white cape, you have to wear it with the attitude of like, I don't care if it gets wet. Oh, no, you can't. No, no, look. I mean, wet, dirty, any of that. Look, that cape was, uh, you know, very, very easily cleaned, very easily kept. <laughs> I mean, it's a battle cape, you know. you got to think, you know, Grand Army and you want to think more Austerlitz than um, Waterloo or or, um, or Jaina or something like that. So, so are you saying it's it's the one cape that he washes? I'd like to think he opens his cupboard and, like a cartoon character, he's got twelve white capes. Well, we may never know. But my <laughs> I, my idea my idea was that you know someone would handle it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like someone could come and just wipe the hem down or whatnot, or you know, give it a brush. There's a look to the left, and one of the death troopers will pull out a a rag or whatnot. Death to stains. <laughs> Oh, there's a commercial (laughs) tie-in. Now, what was it like? You you studied the um, the moth scene, like in the uh, in the Death Star in A New Hope. How was it working with Guy Henry to bring Tarkin to life? You know, 
he was um i mean guy just did uh guy's a great uh great actor um and to watch him um there's a certain kind of encumbrance that you know in terms of just just to step away from everything in terms of pure acting like how you do it um there's a certain encumbrance when you've got the rig on and stuff like that and you know you've got lights shining in your eyes and um you are mapped for digitization uh and you got to then do scenes and then you got to do scenes as though you're peter cushing doing grand moff tarkin that's a tough that's a you know that's a uh, that that's a pike double twist flip back noop 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 you know that's a pretty high difficulty dive guy was fantastic i mean guy was fantastic and it was fun i mean those they were some of the most kind of enjoyable also they were tough days when we were destroying that planet <laughs> they were great days though they i mean all that stuff in the control room is awesome they were great days on the Death Star, destroying planets. They were. They were the salad days. <laughs> they were the salad days. We were young and carefree. We were. And look what happened to us. <laughs> As an actor, you know, you're sort of seen as like a pretty serious actor. And is it a leap of faith to go that these guys at ILM are going to get this done and it's going to look like I'm playing opposite a character? No, no, it's no... It, you don't need... To to do a leap of faith about that stuff at all. ILM are ILM and they are, you know, um, you know, if not the standard bearers of um, the technology um, and have been for decades, they are, you know, amongst the handful of the best on earth. So, you know, I mean, it's ILM. It's kind of like, you know, I mean, they're, they're sort of like these weird, you know, like, they're kind of mythic, you know, like they like that's the whole thing about that world. It it still is mythic to me. And I have participated in it, but you know, and I know how films made, you know, I've uh, like but Star Wars can still it can still it can capture my imagination in 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 ways that is really different from a lot of other films i will go there with star wars and i will enter the magic of it um because it's kind of irresistible to me so you know all the components that go to actually making it um uh have a mythic and an epic and a heroic quality to them i mean ilm i mean you know you think about what they've done um you think about that history and just you know decade after decade and i grew up with all this stuff the spielberg films and the star wars films and you go on and on and on they are extraordinary they're just extraordinary yeah i've i've been to ilm and it was um it's like going to a magic factory. It's like going to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. You know, it's like getting to see inside this magic world. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to know a whole lot about it either. I, I like to see it and go, wow, there's ET and there's this and there's that. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to know. I don't, I don't want to see behind the curtain too much. Yeah. You know, I like, I like the show. You know, I like the show. It's one of the... You know, it's one of the misgivings that I get about when 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 it's time to do talk about them and stuff like that. 
is that I come from a time where you really didn't have an access to much information about how things were done or if you did you really had to go search it out and stuff whereas it now it's it's very much a part of the process and I I don't know I guess it's just something about being an old bugger or something but you know it's it's I I like the magic of it you know I like the magic of it well, one of the most magical things about the, the the Tarkin being in Rogue One was it was kept so secret yeah and and another thing at this Australian premiere, when he turned around, like you sort of saw his reflection, and when he turned around, you know, there's kids in the theatre, but it's also in Australia, and there was a lot of curse words. Yeah, un- un- absolutely. That, that people didn't know they were saying, but just like, yeah. oh my, like, but you, you heard this murmur across the audience of just like, oh my God, they've done it. Were you in Sydney or Melbourne? In for Melbourne. The, in Melbourne. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, well, in Melbourne, um, yeah, there would have been a, a good earthy reaction. I like that. I, I think of Melbourne for the American listeners as a cross between Detroit and New York uh, in terms of its sensibility. And it's a kind of an industry town, you know, heavy industry, la, la, la. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. There would have been a, a nice smattering of um, uh, uh, Anglo-Saxon uh, language. That's one way to put it. <laughs> Very sugar-coated. No, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to be um, keep a respectful pan-English audience. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. One thing I have to ask you: You've had the run-in with Darth Vader. You've had the choke. Uh huh. Then afterwards, you had this really curious grin. Yeah, because I got him. That was, you got a rise out of him. Yeah, I think the, look, my, uh, my notion for, um, my notion for, for what, what goes on with Krennic is he's going to get this thing built, right? He's going to run it. Once he runs it, he becomes, in effect, way more powerful than he is right now. Moff, and I probably probably Vader too, can see the move, and which is why they have to, which is why they do what they do. But I think there's, you know, I, I imagine it's something about the intensity of the situation and this and that and the other. Anyway, it's um, it's uh, it's a yeah, it's. It's got more interesting possibilities, I think, than just being like, oh, oh, ouch, you know. Well, one of the things that was so endearing about Krennic that you brought to the role, like he was he was such a, no offense, such a dick, but <laughs> he was so cool at it. Like it was like such a great anti-hero where you're like, this is one of the most evil people in the galaxy, but look at him go. Well, I think, you know, look, I, I mean- I think that's one of the things about portrayals or or the way we think about, you know, in fiction, um, evil and bad people uh, are often enjoyable for an audience. That's, that's good. Um, sometimes they're terrifying. Sometimes they're absolutely repulsive and you really want them, you need to see them, you know, defeated and, and you know. I think Krennic is, is better in... That sort of zone. Of course, on one hand, it does mean you're extremely good at your job. But do you ever worry why you're so good at betraying these people? 
No, 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 I don't. I think I, I no, I mean, I take on different roles and try and, um, you just try and do them as, as, you know, well as you can. And you try and remember that at the end of the day, it's really all about an audience. I mean, it's all about an audience. Everything else can go and insert Melbourne language there. Um, <laughs> There were some hand gestures just done there that would have yeah, to censor out. Jump. They can go and jump. I mean, it's you just want to, you know, it's it's an it's the audience. It's it's all about the audience. So you just want to make the the thing that you're given to make, you know, and and that requires certain, you know, there's it's like building something out of Lego or components, you know, and you and so the job is actually when you're building every single piece of that component to do that bit. Uh, to make sure that's as well made as you possibly can, because that's all you're doing. You're going in and building this bit now, then we're building this bit, then we're building this bit, then we're building this bit, and you just want to, uh, you know, step up to the bat and, you know, give it give it your best. You, you mentioned before that you don't like to know too much about the movie magic, how things are made, and being a Star Wars film, you know, you're only concentrating on one part of the story mm. what was it like when you actually got to see the whole film and then while you're down on the planet getting your cape wet you find out there's a sweet throwback x-wing battle going on oh, it was awesome i mean it was awesome the first time i saw it was at the skywalker ranch we all got um you know we all got taken up into san francisco and then driven out to the Skywalker Ranch, and then sat down in the in the uh, in the theater there, and um, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it, like I said, it's kind of like being, it's like getting to go to the Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory. It was, um, yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, I'm really, really proud of Rogue One. I think that the grittiness and the sort of the toughness of it, you know, it, it feels a lot more um, like you can feel the dirt in, in Rogue One. You can feel the, the sort of the rundown machinery and stuff in a way that for me is, is kind of distinct from, um, from any other um, in, in the canon. And I sort of, I love that. I love that about it. Um, but, you know, it's a shock the first time you see any film that, that you're in. And I hadn't watched a film that I was in for a really, really long time. Like a decade or more. Yeah, it was time. The, the second time I saw it was when it really kind of became a proper film. And that was at the premiere. And that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Now, you, you walk into just here... And we've got, you know, there's the doll, the little Lego character. And, and the, the thing that you marveled at maybe the most was the, the chocolate milk, Hershey's milk from Mexico. Yeah, yeah that with I a found, uh, and, and a big Darth. Which I, I refer to as my Mendo milk. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, things aren't going to plan in your life when you're smuggling chocolate milk out of Mexico. <laughs> Oh, but, I don't know. That's but, a pretty. That's a pretty luxurious pursuit. You know, that's, is, that's not bad. There it's, is more profitable things to get out of that country. I've heard. But when did it hit you that you're, you know, and of course you've got this amazing career, but in Star Wars you are guaranteed. You're in. Oh, Star, no, Star Wars is Star Wars. You know, like, um, yeah. So when did it hit me? What that, that you were sort of like, 
I'm ingrained in this. I'm 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 like my toy is next to you know Luke Skywalker's and 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 Han yeah, Solo's. Yeah, but no, look, I mean, uh, when did it hit me? I do, I don't know, but I do think that you know, like you you also don't want to get too um, carried away with with any of that stuff. You know, like the Star Wars canon has it has its fixed stars. You know, to to go to the um, the the pre-Copernican for a moment. There's Luke, there's Han, there's Leia, there's Darth, there's Chewie, there's C-3PO, and there's R2-D2, and there's Ben, and there's Yoda. And, I mean, you know, there's Boba Fett. They, they are... You cannot escape the gravity uh, and the magnificence of the initial three films and the degree to which... They shine a light on everything that comes after them, and they also stand as a uh, beacon beyond and often uh, above. So, you know, you can be in that Parthenon, but, you know, Krennic never, will never stand beside Luke, and that is as it should be. It's, I'm glad I was in the Star Wars film. I'm really, really glad. And I'm glad that, um, and, you know, uh, we argue about this, Mads and I, but, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I built the Death Star. He may have come up with the little fancy equation, but I built that. Yeah, but there's nothing worse. You're building something and there's that guy that, like, comes and goes. (laughs) And at the end, like, yeah, we did it. And it's like, dude, where were you on Wednesday? Yeah. No, well, that's, what can you say? That's Galen to a T. (laughs) (laughs) If you are new to the Steel Wars podcast, you are sitting on a smorgasbord of deep dive, super fun Star Wars chat. Just last week, Star Wars character performer details dropped never-before-heard stories from the sets of The Last Jedi and Rogue One. You can also hear Mike Quinn, The Rebellion's Neum Numb, talk about witnessing Yoda's death on the set of Return of the Jedi. Rogue One's Stephen Stanton tells the backstory of how he got cast as Admiral Raddus. And on episode 150, Corey D. Williams lifts the lid on life around the Sarlacc pit on the set of Return of the Jedi and his thoughts on Donald Glover stepping into the stylish threads of Lando Carizian, a character made a legend by his father, Billy D. As well as hilarious live episodes like our recent one in New York with Marvel's Heather Antos and the Daily Show's Ronnie Chang. I remember the scene where it was cold and then the AT- AT&T walkers walked across. And then... The AT&T yeah, walkers. Yeah, AT&T walkers. Yeah, walked they were, they were and then sponsored. The, it, was, yeah. it, was, the, it was product and the, placement. The, and then the Verizon fighters Ver- came in. <laughs> <laughs> Verizon came in and then the guy with the orange sleeves who was Luke, he did the, he spun around the legs and then the thing fell and then he cut open some other animal and jumped inside the intestines and then next thing I know, there's teddy bears on the moon and that's, that's my first Star Wars moment, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. And then from ever since then, I've been a huge Star Wars fan. <laughs> you can check them all out by subscribing on iTunes or your podcast app of choice or by clicking steelwars.com. You had the 
I guess, the luxury of, of being able to make Krennic your own. And you don't follow movie news that hard, but- in a couple months, there's a Han Solo film coming out. Oh yeah, no, no, I'm I'm very aware that there's a Han Solo film coming out. And Alden Ehrenreich is stepping into the the boots of Han Solo. Yep. yep. How would you tackle taking on such a iconic role played by such an iconic actor? I I don't know. I can only. I mean, I've played a couple of people that have uh, existed. You, when you're playing someone that you have a, a record of, then you know you you watch the person, you get an impression, you do what you can to uh, remain faithful to that. But you've also got to be fluid, and you know these things have their own their own uh, sort of self-contained sort of experience and logic so i don't think what you know and i'm sure fans and and people you know aren't expecting a harrison ford as han solo impersonation that's not really the point of the exercise he's a lovely i mean i've 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 not seen a bunch of his stuff i've seen him in hail caesar and he was epic Mm. and donald glover is epic and they're gonna they're gonna make it their own, and it'll be uh, an enormous amount of fun. I mean, I want to see Han Solo pre A New Hope. I want to see him rocking around and doing his thing. I think it'll be a blast. Yeah, and I hear that Ron Howard guy's had some success as well. He's done all right. He's all right. He's all right. From what I know, it was a a high school play that got you into acting that you took because. It was a bludge, which yep, is another that's all true. Australian decode. Yeah, meaning it was um, a slacker. Bludge is, it means slacker or slack off or take it easy, whatever. And, relax. And, and through doing that, you've you know you've had this amazing career and you've had such success in Hollywood. Do you believe in fate or laziness? Um, what? It's an either or. I, I think I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I think I believe Why not in both. <laughs> I think no. I think I believe. I don't. Nah. I think. I. I think I don't know. Actually, I. I don't really know. I do think that it seems to be that when you really are exerting a lot of effort to do something, it um, can feel like it's not. It's pretty elusive. But if you just sort of try and lay back in the cut a bit more, you're probably more likely to hit a sweet spot. I sort of learned that from Anthony Hopkins, actually. I did a film with him uh, decades ago, and I asked for his advice on... um, you know, on acting, I would do that because I started as a, you know, I never went to school for acting or all that sort of stuff. I started and I learned on the job. and I, So I would ask people, you know, how, how you do it or how they did it. And I think a lot of the actors that I really enjoy, you don't feel, you know, you can't see behind the curtain as to what they're doing, you know. I mean, it, it just feels like it just comes out of them quite naturally and not forced and and that is um you know that's something that that is good so but fate i don't know i came here for a long long time i considered it over a bunch of years before it sort of fired up again so i don't know about that i mean it's yeah it's it's hard to say and next up you're playing with another absolute legend you've mentioned a few times in the uh in the podcast but ready player one and and steven spielberg absolutely 
Yeah, no, they don't get any bigger than Steven Spielberg, and they they don't get any more significant or impressive, or they don't get any sweeter than him either. He's uh, wow, what a what a man. Yeah, that's going to roll out any moment, and that is a strap your seatbelts in ride. That is um, that's enormous fun. I'm uh, you know again I'm. I'm really really proud i i do i've had a lot of pinch you know pinch me moments in the last uh in the last several years and that was a huge one i'd have been happy enough to have sat with him in a like a hollywood meeting thing and just chatted with him for 15 minutes and i told him as much that that whatever happened hereafter or not this was pretty bloody good for me you know i came from melbourne i'm sitting talking to you and that's that'll do it yeah whatever happens now or doesn't this is pretty awesome yeah ready player one rocks i've seen it and i've seen it in full 3d the 3d is so beautiful the 3d is really really impressive and ilm yeah ilm wow you seem to take into uh watching your movies now oh you know they uh, it's a different time i would uh yeah i, I would it'd be very hard for you to well, be in those sorts I, of films. I also and- think that there's a certain when you're going to be, um, you know, yeah, whatever. It's a different time. Yeah, I, I kind of feel you talk about pinch me moments. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like doing this podcast is a pinch me moment for for not quite the right reasons. Oh, you mean for me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, it could turn into a, a, a like a pinch me like for not the right reason. No, um, uh, no. I'm just still. playing. I'm just playing. I, what I'm saying is that I so appreciate you taking the time to to come down and and, and chat. Oh, not not at all. No, not at all. It, it was long promised, and um, and you know, it took a while. It's yeah. been a busy. It's been a busy while, but you know, but but I should say long promised for no reason. Just that well, you're down to help out someone from Melbourne. Well, uh, no, you know, like, n- yeah. Um, thank you. That's very, very nice of you to say. But, you know, it's, um, it's, it's what, yeah, it's what you do. I really appreciate that. And it, to me, it says a lot about you. That Mate, is, thank you. That is really cool. Because as, as much as we want our Star Wars actors to, to love being in Star Wars, we also want them to be, like, good peeps. And I, I, I really appreciate it. Oh, mate, thank you. That's really, really nice of you to say, Steve. That's nice of you to be here, to be said, on my couch, surrounded by my toys, <laughs> my illegal Mendo milk. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to um, ask, what did you make of the Mendo t-shirt? Oh, mate, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I, was, uh, I was very flattered. I mean, I, if I'm, I'm looking over the back of, of Steele's couch and I can see the back of one of these T-shirts and if I can just extrapolate for a moment as I reach over here. Oh, my God, what issue is that? I've just seen the Star Wars comic. What is that? That's a special version of the Star Wars comic. They do like vintage toy covers, like as if you had like a, a is 70s this the action first, figure. Is this the first Rogue One thing? Is this episode? Is this the first one? I think it's actually just a Star Wars one, but they do these like throwbacks. Awesome. As if you when had, did that come out? Uh, about a year and a half ago. Yeah, I'll be going down to. Um, which comic store do you use? 
Meltdown Comics, yeah. just down the street. Fantastic. Yeah, but on, that, yeah, that is actually first episode of Rogue One, and that's on. It's on Sunset. On right? Sunset. It's not, yeah, it's not on Hollywood. That's right. It's on Sunset. Yeah, it's the Great Meltdown. So to get back to it, the T-shirt. I'm unfolding it, and it has here Steel Wars Mendo, and then it's got the uh, the scene approaching the base of uh, of you know Krennic walking towards it with and it says at the bottom here with sweet cape and immeasurable power it's a pretty good t-shirt i mean you know how can you not sort of get a smile out of that you know life's not too bad (laughs) ben mendelson thank you so much and may that force be with you always thank you still Hey, you guys, I hope you enjoyed that very fun chat with Mendo himself, Ben Mendelsohn. Mendo, that's it. It's done. The circle is complete. I really hope you had fun listening to it. I hope it lived up to your expectations or satisfied them somewhat. If you did enjoy the episode, I ask only one thing, and that is to help us pod it forward. Uh, Listener word of mouth, especially for a big guest like Ben Mendelsohn, will really help out the podcast. No matter how many people you have following you or any of that, just, just the positive energy of dropping us a retweet would be so appreciated. To help you with that... I have got a link to the tweet promoting this podcast in the episode's show notes, both for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So uh, if you're on any of those platforms, hit the links just on your app right now on your phone. It will take you there. You can hit a retweet and spread the good word of the Mendo Steel Wars episode it would be beyond appreciated because as i say this episode's a great way for us to get some new listeners in and i would also like to acknowledge that we do not stand here amongst my achievement there are so many people that help out with the podcast that i i so appreciate uh eric struthers does a lot of sound stuff from the bad motivators uh josh chapman does all the video work from the youtube channel star wars spelt out don legaspi loyal patreon supporter and live show attendee does a lot of our show notes. Uh, Paul Dempsey of Something for Kate, of course, does our theme song, our very fun theme song that Mendo actually sang during the podcast, which was pretty good. We'll hopefully be doing something with that soon. Mick McConnell posts up all the sizzle clips of the archived episodes, which is a huge help. And Reed Parker does all our cover photoshopping, which I look forward to getting back every week because they always make me giggle. Also, a huge thanks to Meso, Mr. Sunday Movies, and Claire at Planet Broadcasting, and Amanda, Jason, and all the squad at the Making Star Wars Podcast Network for supporting the show. It's so appreciated. Big thanks to Susan and Tom at Team Mendelssohn 
for helping us schedule this in. Thanks to my friends Blondie and HeyFan Podcast Angus Truscott for making sure Ben was very aware of the Mendo t-shirts upon their release. That's appreciated. And a special thanks to my wife Jacqueline for finding all this kind of endearing. <laughs> And, and thank you to the, the wider Steel Wars community, Star Wars podcasting community, uh, our little Facebook group, the Steel Wars, Star Wars Listener Safe Haven on Facebook has just been like so supportive and so excited for this episode. And as has so many people on Star Wars Twitter, uh, other podcasters have reached out to me and that is just... It's so cool. It's uh, it's a little bit overwhelming, but it is so appreciated, you guys. And let's hope uh, we can celebrate other very exciting guests in the future. I am definitely working on it, guys. Don't worry about that. And if you do a Star Wars podcast or a Star Wars blog and you mention the Mendo interview, tag us on Twitter or the like and I'll retweet it. As Ben said, he's uh, a bit of a fan of the Mendo shirt, which previously was only available in white. So I am putting up on the merch store a very limited run of black Mendo t-shirts with white prints. The uh, the mock-up looks awesome. So don't miss your chance to grab the t-shirt that depicts that sweet cape and a measurable power. Also, the Your Snoke Theory Sucked t-shirts are in, as are the stickers, and they are all shipping out this week from SteelWars.com. In upcoming shows, we will have a live call-in show discussing the finale of Rebels this Tuesday night. If you're on American time, it'll be Wednesday, middle of the day for Australians. And we'll be taking your calls on the three-part season finale of Star Wars Rebels. And if you need the last episodes decoded, Sal Perales of the Rogue Rebels called in to episode 54 of the call-in show to help us process what went down in that episode? That's co-hosted by Emily Lind of the Canto Bite Dispatch podcast, who also had many, many Ben Mendelssohn questions to answer, some of which are in the bonus section for Patreon listeners. And if you want to support the podcast on Patreon, it's just $3 a month. You get full access to our entire archives, tons of bonus shows each month, and the warm glow that you're helping us continue the production of our little Star Wars podcast. And of course, if you want to support in a non-financial manner, writing us a sweet five-star review on iTunes is a huge help as it bumps us up the rankings and lets other potential listeners know that we're doing pretty good stuff. It also makes your podcast host feel warm inside. And who doesn't want that? I sure do. But I might have a conflict of interest on that topic. If you're in LA, we've got the live show on the 10th of March, breaking down Star Wars Rebels at the Scum and Villainy Cantina. It's going to be so dope. Sal Perales from the Rogue Rebels, the hilarious Jenny Nicholson, the awesome geek girl diva writer for StarWars.com, Troops, 
fan filmmaker Kevin Rubio, who also had a writing stint on Star Wars The Clone Wars, will be on the panel. And another special guest, TBC. To be confirmed, you guys. That's how the kids talk. Or not. Then, if you are in Australia, I'll be doing three shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival over the Easter weekend. Different guests, each show, and I cannot wait to be back podcasting in the hometown. You can get tickets for both those shows at steelwars.com forward slash live. If you are a new listener, go back through those archives. There is some great timeless chats in there that I'm very proud of. And feel free to interact with us. I'm always chatting and answering questions about the podcast and Star Wars on Twitter. And it is super fun. So joining with that, if you care to. Thanks so much. And may that force be with you. Mendo. Oh, Mendo! Ben Mendelsohn, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm just confirming. If you're like me and you want to check out as many quality voices in Star Wars fandom as possible, check out the Making Star Wars podcast network at makingstarwars.net. Not only is makingstarwars.net the home for the hottest news and rumors in the Star Wars universe, but they have also got a top-shelf podcast network. Now, this is podcasting. Rebel Girl, The Cantina Cast, Blue Harvest, The Rogue One, a podcast for winners. The Sith List, Podcast 2187, Tarkin's Top Shelf, The Idiot's Array. All available on iTunes or makingstarwars.net. Just hit the podcast network button. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.